Well, this is uh, the fourth message in a little mini-series that we've been preaching called Jesus Everywhere. Um, do you have that cartoon? Remember this? Have you found Jesus? And there he is behind the curtain in her apartment. Anyway, so we looked, first of all, at Jesus in uh, David and Bathsheba and their two sons. Remember that? And then we looked at Jesus in Jacob and Esau. Remember that? And then we looked at Jesus in mangers. Remember that? And uh, today we want to look at Jesus in the prophets. So let's pray. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we pray that we would know your word and that your word would become incarnate in us and we would speak your word. Lord Jesus, we've just prayed far more than we know. So we ask that by the power of your spirit, you would help us to preach and help us to believe. Jesus' name, uh, we pray, Lord God. Amen. Wouldn't it be cool to be a prophet? You know? Prophecy is speaking the word of God, not just as information or like a law or something you learn out of a book, a dead word, but a living word. I mean, wouldn't it be cool to be a prophet? You're at the, you're at the bar with some friends and they're wondering who wins the Super Bowl, you know? And just like, just a moment. It is predestined that Houston shall win the Super Bowl. I mean, that'd be pretty cool. Or let's get a little more serious. I mean, your neighbor, she's wondering who to marry. So, uh, uh, just a minute, I'll find out. Mm, Ted, the answer is Ted. The good is Ted. No trauma, no drama. It's Ted. You, you, you know the good. Ted is good. Or uh, you get a bad job review from your boss and you say, uh, pardon me, just a minute. Hmm, uh, you're wrong. I am right. I should have a raise. You have issues and you're developing a drinking problem, says God. Wouldn't it be cool to be a prophet? I mean, imagine the power, the control, the sense of peace, um, the, the covering of glory. Imagine the riches, the Cadillacs, the, the big hair, the TV contracts. Wouldn't it be just cool? Be cool. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel are referred to as the major prophets because, you know, their work, their books are the uh, most extensive uh, prophetic books in the Old Testament. And you've probably heard sermons and stories about each of them. Each major prophet has this major and glorious calling. Remember Isaiah? In the year King Uzziah dies, he sees the Lord high and lifted up, seated on a throne. The train of his robe fills the temple and the whole earth is full of his glory. And the angels are singing, holy, holy, holy. And one brings this burning coal from the altar and touches Isaiah's lips and he's, and he's cleansed and the voice says, whom shall I send? And Isaiah says, send me. Awesome. Awesome. Jeremiah, remember Jeremiah? The word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah. Now this is cool because that means it's like a talking, walking word. The word says, see, I've set you, Jeremiah, over nations and kingdoms. They will not prevail against you. Jeremiah, awesome. Ezekiel's is probably the coolest. Ezekiel sees like this glory cloud and these uh, living creatures, four living creatures with human faces in a circle and then each one of them has like a, a wheel that goes down onto the earth and around the wheel there's eyes all around the wheel, wind, fire, lightning. Above the creatures is a throne and on the throne, one like a man or a son of man, it's a man on fire and he is the glory of the Lord. Above his head is a rainbow. The glory of the Lord he is called. And in chapter three, 
he commissions Ezekiel. He shows up and personally commissions Ezekiel. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And then it gets weird. And that, that wasn't the weird part. Then it gets weird. In Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. These are the verses that you probably have not heard a sermon preached on. These are the verses that you skim over really quick when you're having your devotional times and kind of try to forget because they're just so dang weird. Isaiah 20, verse 1, Isaiah sees the Lord clothed in glory and then this, in the year that the commander-in-chief who was sent by Sargon, the king of Assyria, came to Ashdod, that's a Philistine city, and fought against it and conquered it, that's 711 B.C., at that time, the Lord spoke by Isaiah, the son of Amos, saying, Go and loose the sackcloth from your waist and take off your sandals from your feet. And he did so walking naked and barefoot. Then the Lord said, As my servant Isaiah has walked naked and barefoot for three years, three years, as a sign and a portent against Egypt and Cush, that's probably Ethiopia, so shall the king of Assyria lead away the Egyptian captives and the Cushite exiles, both the young and the old, naked and barefoot, with buttocks uncovered. That's like butt naked. The nakedness of Egypt. Then they shall be dismayed and ashamed because of Cush their hope and of Egypt their boast, and the inhabitants of this coastland will say in that day, check this out, behold, this is what has happened to those in whom we have hoped to, and to whom we fled for help to be delivered from the king of Assyria, and how shall we escape? And so you see, it's not enough. It's not enough that Isaiah knows that Assyria will lead captives away but naked. No. Isaiah himself has to walk around three years butt naked. Isaiah didn't do anything wrong. It's not Isaiah's fault. Three years naked. <laughs> well, the practical application point of this verse is obvious, right? Nude evangelism. We're starting a cutting-edge nude evangelism program. Mom, you can sign up downstairs after the service. <laughs> you won't, you won't, you, you, you'd do it. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> we're actually not going to have a nude evangelism uh, program. Because, you know, this wasn't like ancient nude volleyball or, or something. Um, nakedness meant vulnerability. Gets cold in Israel. Vulnerability, verse 5, dismay and shame. Nakedness is to be unprotected. It means that you will be affected. Three years, but naked. <laughs> Why? Why is that necessary, God? And things get even worse with Jeremiah. I mean, I mean God's, God, God says this, they shall not prevail against you, Jeremiah, and yet Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. If you've ever read Jeremiah, it's just like weeping, weeping, weeping. Jeremiah 9.1, oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain. Jeremiah 15.1, why is my pain unceasing and my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? In chapter 13, Jeremiah, kind of like Isaiah, is commanded to buy a loincloth 
loincloth, wear the loincloth, and then stick it in a cliff somewhere. Uh, thus, he's like naked. Chapter 19, he's to smash a clay pot in the potter's field in the valley of Gehenna, saying, Jerusalem shall be smashed like this pot, such that it cannot be mended and buried here in Gehenna. In chapter 32, Jeremiah is commanded to buy a field. Now, check this out. Fields are expensive, and you know why he's commanded to buy it? because Babylon will soon come and take it away. It's like commanded futility. Then Jeremiah gets a snot beat out of him, he's thrown in a well or a cistern, then exiled to Egypt, and then he dies. <laughs> Yay, a prophet. It's not enough that he prophesies nakedness, destruction, and futility. No, he has to experience nakedness, destruction, and futility. And check out Ezekiel chapter three. The glory of the Lord tells Ezekiel, the glory man shows up and tells Ezekiel that he will be mute. That's a mute prophet. Then he says, son of man. That's what he calls Ezekiel, son of man. Is that wild? Son of man and uh, build a model. He tells him to build a model of Jerusalem under siege. And then take this iron griddle or plate and put it between himself and the model, and then in chapter four, verse four, let's read it. Then lie on your left side and place the punishment. That word can also, is also translated iniquity and sin. Place uh, the iniquity of the house of Israel upon it for the number of the days that you lie on it. You shall bear the punishment, the iniquity. You shall, but Ezekiel didn't do anything wrong. You shall bear their punishment, for I assign to you a number of days, 390 days equal to the number of the years of their punishment. So long shall you bear the punishment of the house of Israel. And when you have completed these, you shall lie down a second time, but on your right side, and bear the punishment of the house of Judah. Forty days I assign you, a day for each year. And you shall set your face toward the siege of Jerusalem with your arm bared, and you shall prophesy against the city. And behold, I will place cords upon you so that you cannot turn from one side to the other till you have completed the days of your siege. 430 days lying on one side or between both sides. 390 and 140 on the other. And then check this out. The glory man tells Ezekiel that each day he is allowed to have, allowed to have a pint of water and eight ounces of this weird grain bean mixture that he is supposed to cook over human dung. Like, eat crap, Isaiah, or Ezekiel. And Ezekiel, I mean, he's freaked out by this. And so he complains to the glory man, and the glory man says, okay, you can use cow dung. And then he goes on to say, um, Ezekiel, I want you to shave your head and your beard with a sword. And then you're gonna take the hair and divide it into three portions, and then you're gonna uh, weigh it out in balances and destroy each one of the three portions in a particular way, which symbolizes the fate of those remaining in Jerusalem before the final siege by Babylon. And this is the weirdest part of all, Ezekiel is not anywhere near Jerusalem. He's already in Babylon and unable to speak. I mean, what is the point of that? What does that change? What does that fix? And then chapter 25, the, the word of the Lord um, shows up and said he's gonna take Ezekiel's bride, whom he loves. She dies. 
Because Jerusalem dies. What's the point? You remember Hosea the prophet is commanded to marry an unfaithful prostitute because Israel is an unfaithful prostitute. He's commanded to name his three children Jezreel because God's going to destroy Israel. Jezreel and no mercy and number three, not my people. Wow. I mean, some of you are dads. Imagine naming your son, not my people. How would that feel? Remember Jonah? Before he preached to Nineveh about hell, he had to go to hell. Three days, three nights in the belly of a whale. Wouldn't it be great to be a prophet? Wow. Nakedness, tears, destruction, futility, bondage, rice cakes scented with human dung, unfaithfulness, forsakenness, hell. They can't just talk about it, they have to experience it. They can't just know about it, they have to know it. They have to feel it. They have to be afflicted until they are affected. And it's not just the Old Testament. You've read about Paul's afflictions, right? Nakedness, tears, futility, beatings, bondage, chief of sinners. Remember what God said to Ananias, I will show him what he must suffer for my name's sake. Suffer. Pathos. Pascos. Paul uh, suffered. And, and you know, Paul was profoundly prophetic. The Corinthians wanted to be prophetic. Remember, you remember the letters to Corinth. They were very gifted. They were rich in resources, rich in knowledge, and yet they were infants in Christ, according to Paul. And so to the Corinthians, Paul lists his afflictions, and then he writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Our mouth is open to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Americans, I think, are so much like Corinthians. And maybe that's our problem. We're restricted in our affections. We're not affected. Restricted in our splogna. That's, that's the Greek. It means restricted in our bowels. The bowels are believed to be the seat of compassion, sympathy, empathy, and mercy. Maybe we're restricted in our bowels, you know. That's our problem. We're anal retentive. Emotionally constipated. All IQ and no EQ. All intellectual quotient and no emotional quotient. Emotion. You know, emotion is a word that's hard to find in your Bible. Instead, you'll find splogna, translated affections, or pasco, or pathane, translated suffer, suffering, or, or passion. It's where we get our words empathy, sympathy, compassion. Passion and suffering are, are like the same word, and that makes some sense. Think about it. You, you suffer emotions. Emotions affect you. You don't really control them all that easily. They have a way of controlling you. They affect you. 
things that you can comprehend, you deem logical, right? Things you can control, comprehend, you deem logical, but when you are comprehended, that is affected, what do you call it? Emotion. Now, no one really comprehends emotion. Scientists pretend to, because it's related to chemicals in the blood and patterns in the brain. And that may be what they are made of, but that does not mean that is what they are. You're made of carbon, but that is not what you are. Well, maybe IQ, intellectual intelligence, measures a person's ability to comprehend some logic. And EQ, emotional intelligence, measures a person's capacity to be comprehended by a greater logic. A person's capacity to intuit or recognize logic. Maybe emotions, you see, are highly logical. It's just a logic greater than our ability to comprehend and control. People say love is an emotion. Scripture says God is love. So if love is an emotion, God is an emotion. And if Jesus is God's word, that is the logos of God, then Jesus is literally the logic of love. Come to earth to comprehend us. Capture our hearts. Well, maybe our problem is not IQ, but something more like EQ. Uh, Not a lack of knowledge about good and evil, but something else. A few weeks before Christmas, my daughter Becky introduced me to a television show that I'd never seen before called The Big Bang Theory. (laughs) Have you watched The Big Bang Theory? Raise your hand. Get an amen if you've watched it. Yeah. Over my Christmas break, I seriously watched like 50 episodes. (laughs) I totally loved it, and I totally related to it. It's about nerds, and uh, the pretty girl that lives across the hallway. Sheldon is the best character, you know. He's all IQ and no EQ. He knows all about physics. He knows all about people, but he really has trouble knowing people. In episode two of season four, he tries to eat from the tree of life. I mean, he tries to make himself immortal with knowledge that he can comprehend. What's he doing there? (laughs) What I'm doing here is trying to determine when I'm going to die. A lot of people are working on that research. But seriously, even if I disregard the Uncle Carl factor, at best, I have 60 years left. How long, huh? 60 only takes me to here. I need to get to here. What's there? The earliest estimate of the singularity, when man will be able to transfer his consciousness into machines and achieve immortality. So, you're upset about missing out on becoming some sort of freakish, self-aware robot? By this much? (laughs) In order to live long enough to fuse my consciousness with cybernetics, I need to change my diet. Wait, cybernetics is robot stuff, right? Correct. So you want to turn yourself into some sort of robot? Essentially, yes. (laughs) Okay, here's my question. Didn't you already do that? But sadly, no. 
Sheldon, are you gonna join us? Coming. friends. Greetings, whatever the hell you are. I am a mobile virtual presence device. Uh, recent events have demonstrated to me that my body is too fragile to endure the vicissitudes of the world. Until such time as I am able to transfer my consciousness, I shall remain in a secure location and interact with the world in this manner. This may seem a little odd at first, but over time, you'll grow accustomed to dealing with me in this configuration. Yeah, to be honest, I don't see much difference. Thank you. That's what I was going for. This is ridiculous. I'm coming to talk to you. You don't know where I am. My physical body is safely ensconced in a secure, undisclosed location. You're in your bedroom. No, I'm not. I can hear your voice coming from your bedroom. No, you can't. Wait. Come back. Halt. Authorized personnel only. Sheldon, this is ridiculous. I'm behind you. Please look at me when you're talking to me. I am looking at you. No, you're not. Pay no attention to that man in the bed. You cannot exist as a virtual presence. Not here and certainly not at work. Oh, good God. Until I can transfer my intellect to a more durable container, my body will remain safely ensconced in my bed. Fine. But don't expect my help. You have to help. It's in the roommate agreement. No, it's not. Section 74C. The various obligations and duties of the parties in the event one of them becomes a robot. I'll be damned. <laughs> I love that. I'll be damned. And think about it. Maybe that's what it is to be damned. Turning yourself into some sort of freakish robot that lives by the law. Section 74C. Hiding in my room, safe within my room. I touch no one and no one touches me. I am a rock. I am an island. And a rock feels no pain. An island never cries. Like Jeremiah. Isn't that why the first Adam and Eve took, took the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? They were trying to take life in order to make themselves in God's image. So when God says, where are you? They hide. We hide. We turn ourselves into mobile virtual presence devices. God says, where are you? We're alone. And in that hell, the only place safe from the danger of hell, right, C.S. Lewis? Or the only place safe from the danger of love, right, C.S. Lewis, is hell. Hell. When we preached on Genesis 2 and 3, we saw that there are really two ways of knowing. One, we can conquer things, dissect things uh, less than ourselves, and that's called science. But we are conquered by, affected by, known by things greater than ourselves, like persons, 
Maybe truth is a person. Maybe life is a person. Maybe logic is a person. You want to be a prophet? Maybe the word of God is a person. So if you take knowledge of him, you crucify him and everything dies. But if you receive him by grace, you know and are known by life and everything lives. I've had the opportunity to work with some folks that have been ritually abused. I've encountered demons and even Satan and I'm pretty much convinced Satan's goal is really not to get us to feel fear or even shame. I think his ultimate goal is to get us to feel nothing. While God's ultimate goal is to get us to feel himself. And that, my friends, is everything. You see, maybe we are an awful lot like Sheldon and tempted like Sheldon, and that's why we can relate to Sheldon, why we laugh at Sheldon. Maybe we're all like the Corinthians. We're restricted in our affections, and so we need to be affected like the prophets. Maybe the prophets needed to feel the nakedness of others, needed to weep the tears of others, uh, even suffer the punishment of others, first and foremost, not to fix others, but to be fixed themselves. Maybe they were trapped in something like a virtual presence device that we call our flesh. Turn to your neighbor right now. Just turn to your neighbor. Turn to someone near you. Hold out your hand and pinch them really hard. Just pinch them really hard. Pinch them. Pinch them. It's science. Just do it. Pinch them. It's an experiment. Now, let me ask you. Did they feel pain? Yes, if you were obedient to what the authority just said, yes, they, they did. Did you feel pain? No, not, not really. You were not affected. And maybe that's the problem. Because you see, Scripture says that we are one body. Each member of my body is affected by every other member. Each member of my body feels the pain of the other members of my body. And supposedly each one of us are members in a greater body, which is Christ's body. But you see, my body, my flesh only feels its own pain. That's a problem. So you didn't feel their pain. And yet maybe, maybe just a little you did. If you had sympathos or sympathy or compassion or empathy, then, then you were affected. You were affected a little bit and yet you were restricted in your affections. Restricted in your affections or else you would care as much about them as you care about yourself. Care that they have as many TVs as you have TVs. Care that they had a coat on your back when you needed a coat on your back. You're restricted in your affections, feeling your own pathos more than there's restricted in your affections. Do you think God is restricted in his affections? I don't think so. Whatever you do unto the least of these, my brothers, you do to me. Perhaps God is 
absolute IQ, just like we say, all-knowing, but not only absolute IQ, absolute EQ, all-knowing and all-feeling, all-knowing intellectually, but all-knowing in some other amazing way. You know, when people know each other in the Bible, they get pregnant. I mean, there are two ways of knowing, like I mentioned. But anyway, he is not restricted in his affections. And check this out. You are being made in his image. So, so why the nakedness, the loss, the pain? Why the trauma, the drama, the pathos? Why the passion? Number one, to be human is to be made in God's image, and God is love. And number two, to be a prophet is to speak God's word, the logos, the logic of love, and maybe his word is one with his person. In other words, you can't really speak truth unless you speak it in love. Because truth is love, and love is truth. In other words, Isaiah can't prophesy to the naked unless he feels their nakedness. Jeremiah can't prophesy to the weeping unless he weeps their tears. Ezekiel uh, cannot prophesy to sinners unless he bears their iniquity somehow. You know, Jonah was the most effective preacher in all the Old Testament, but he only preached about hell after he went there. <laughs> in the belly of the whale, Jonah 2.1, in the belly of Sheol is the Hebrew, literally the womb of hell. And then he preached. Amen. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you get one sign, guys, the sign of Jonah. And what's that? That's Jesus bearing our sin, uh, descending into hell and rising on the third day. You know, in the Gospels over and over again, Jesus, especially Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus spends more time telling people to shut up than to talk, telling them not to talk about him. It's called, scholars call it the messianic secret. He commands religious Jews not to talk about him until they've been to his cross where he's stripped naked where he carries our sorrows, where he bears the iniquity, the punishment, the sin of us all, descends into hell and rises victorious on the third day, and then he says, preach. Then he says, talk. Then he says, disciple, filled with my spirit. And when we do, we will feel what others feel. And we'll begin to feel what God feels. He was in Christ. He was naked. He was broken. He became sin who knew no sin. Suffered at the hands of his unfaithful harlot bride, just like Hosea. See, prophets feel that pain too. God's pain. So do you want to be a prophet? I hope so. You know, in Corinthians, Paul even commands the Corinthians to hope to be prophets, earnestly desire to prophesy. Revelation 19.10, the angel says to John, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So you see, whenever you testify to Jesus, in some sense, I think you prophesy. 
Only some get, you know, wild words of knowledge, like my wife gets those, they're just really cool. Uh, But only some, only some get uh, visions and only some have wild dreams And, and yet I think whenever you testify to Jesus, speak truth in love, speak compassion, splagizomai from the gut, whenever you testify to Jesus, you literally speak the word of God. That's prophecy. And you are his body. I mean, don't the prophets remind you of something as we were talking about that? <laughs> Those guys, they, they kind of remind you of Jesus, huh? Maybe they are. Or at least his body somehow. Hebrews 5.8, he, Jesus, check this out, learned obedience through what he suffered. The verb is pasco. He learned obedience through what he felt. The obedience of love. So maybe our problem isn't what we think so much as what we feel or don't feel, that we are restricted in our affections. We Americans are are rich, we're gifted, we're well-educated, and emotionally constipated, like the Corinthians, restricted in our affections. In the last several years, I've just kind of grown appalled at how we can preach doctrines like eternal torment and never even shed a tear. You see, whether or not it's true, I mean, if we don't shed a a tear, we're not true. Talk about restricted in our affections. I suspect it's because we Americans really haven't suffered all that much. And when we do, we like hide our tears, hide our pain. Or they're not surrendered. And make no mistake, I mean, make no mistake, God's judgment is severe. He says, the measure you give is the measure you receive. So give hell, expect hell. The measure you give is the measure you receive. Hey, do you think the measure God gives is the measure he receives? You know, I suspect that whatever he does to the least of these, he does to himself in Jesus the Christ. So even if he sends people to hell, he he goes there with them. Even if you cry out feeling forsaken, somehow he's forsaken with you. Even if I make my bed in Sheol, even if I make my bed in hell, writes David in Psalm 139, you're there. Even there, your right hand shall hold me. Why is that? It's because God is love and in no way restricted in his affections. But like the Corinthians, we are restricted in our affections. So Paul writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 saying this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we 
we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same suffering that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. You see, you've all been afflicted. God sees to that. Some of you feel naked right now, like Isaiah. Some of you have lost fields and income and family and respect, like Jeremiah. Some of you have suffered horrendously uh, bearing other people's sins, like Ezekiel. Some of you have uh, been divorced, been betrayed like Hosea. Some of you have sinned. You've sinned yourself and you've run from God. In fact, you've spent days in hell like Hosea or Jonah. I'm just saying you've, you've all been afflicted. You've all been afflicted that you might be affected and so might learn Affection. And that's why I, I want you to be in a community group. <laughs> Didn't see that one coming, huh? I snuck around the back. I said, join a community group after this service. <laughs> but, but it's true. I mean, I really want you to be in something like a community group, if not here, but somewhere. In other words, you, you need to be in relationship, um, not for IQ. This is the point. Um, I'm not asking you to be in a community group for IQ, but for EQ. In other words, don't waste your afflictions. Don't waste others' afflictions. The afflictions will be there, but don't waste them. Share them till you're no longer restricted in your affections, till you begin to prophesy. That is, testify Christ one to another. You see, you don't have to fix people. I think we stress about that. You, the Bible, the, Jesus didn't tell you to fix people. You can't fix people. You don't have to fix people. You have to be affected by people until you speak truth with affection. You have to feel what others feel and then testify. Jesus loves you. Do you realize that he was stripped naked for you, beaten for you, forsaken for you? He forgives you. He loves you. That's the spirit of prophecy. It's living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. It's the word of God that does not return void. It's Jesus. I had a bunch of stories about the effect of that word and speaking the word that way, and we really don't have time, and that's okay, because you yourself are the effect, the effect or affect of that word. You know, even though Isaiah felt so vulnerable, even though Jeremiah felt so um, futile, even though Ezekiel felt like no one would, you know why Ezekiel felt like no one would listen to him? Because when God called him, he said, Ezekiel, no one will listen to you. No one alive will listen to you. And yet, check this out, 3,000 years later, we're listening. All creation will listen and be affected for the prophets speak Jesus, the word of God. They didn't understand him. They had a low IQ in reference to Jesus. But they felt him. And they knew him. They were affected. And that brings up one very important point before we close. Affection just means that you are 
affected. And check this out. You can be affected by pleasure as well as pain. And check this out. The sorrow lasts for the night. Joy comes in the morning. And in the New Jerusalem, there's nothing but morning, nothing but day. And Jesus said, your sorrow will turn into joy. You see, the sorrow is temporal and the joy is eternal. Uh, Have you ever noticed that your capacity to feel another person's pain is really the same as your capacity to feel another person's pleasure? And when a body is unified... It feels no pain, only pleasure. Did you know that it was old butt-naked Isaiah that spoke these words in Isaiah 61.10? It was him. Check this out. This is what he says. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Imagine how that felt upon old Isaiah. Verse 11, he will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. He had already prophesied this in chapter 45. A word that shall not return void. To me, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. See, Isaiah felt, oh, he felt that robe of righteousness on himself and upon all creation. Unspeakable joy. Jeremiah, who broke the jar in Gehenna, prophesied that the valley of Gehenna would one day lie inside the boundary of the new Jerusalem, Jeremiah 31. And Jeremiah will get his feel because in 32, he says nothing is too hard for God. And in 31, 13, he prophesies he will turn mourning into joy and trade gladness for sorrow. And Jeremiah in Lamentations 3.22 says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Do you see what that means? Infinite. EQ, Ezekiel, who prophesied the utter destruction of Israel in chapters four and five, prophesies in the valley of the dry bones, Ezekiel 37. The Lord says to Ezekiel, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Therefore, seeing that, feeling that, looking at that, knowing that pain, therefore prophesy. And say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. That would include Ezekiel's wife. And I will bring you into the land of Israel and you will know and I will put my spirit within you. Ezekiel 36, you know what that is? It's a new heart. A finished and perfected EQ. Hosea redeems his harlot bride, buying her back and prophesies that God will redeem Israel, uh, bringing her back, making a door in the valley of Achor, the valley of trouble. And in the very place, in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons, daughters of the living God. That's the apostle Paul quoting the prophet Isaiah in uh, Romans 9, 26. In that place, That place of unspeakable sorrow. Sons, daughters of the living God. Unspeakable joy. I think your capacity for compassion is your capacity for heaven. Your capacity for feeling another person's sorrow is your capacity for feeling another person's joy. Heaven is a place where sorrow is no more and you feel everyone's joy unless you are restricted in your affections 
Hey, 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 forget about last night for a minute, but do, do you remember seeing this last week? First snap of the overtime. The Broncos have been in three overtime games this year. They won them all. Got him. Got him at the 40. It's Thomas at the 50. Stiffer got him free to the 30. To the 20. Thomas to the 10. Denver's going on the New England. They win it on the first play of overtime. I mean, you saw that, right? That was an incredible party, wasn't it? But not everybody was feeling the joy. <laughs> Any of you Steelers fans? Any of you? Any of you? Last night we had a few. Yeah, you, you, if you were, you, you weren't feeling the joy. Or if you didn't care enough to watch the game, you, you probably weren't feeling the joy. I mean, those people don't even have a capacity for this joy. Who felt the joy? Who felt the joy? Yeah. The people that felt the joy were the people that felt the sorrow of the last six years, <laughs> right? The people that felt the joy uh, were the people that felt the trauma and the drama of this year, right? The people that felt the joy were the people that were afflicted the entire first quarter of that game with absolute futility, right? And then they just grit their teeth all the way through the fourth quarter and the, and the slide in the fourth quarter. Those people, their sorrow turned into their joy. And even more, a communion of joy. Right after that play, my son Coleman immediately called me saying, Dad, Dad, did you see that? Why'd he call me? Because we have suffered through a lot of Bronco games together. <laughs> I immediately called my mom after Coleman called me and I said, Mom, Mom, did you see that? Why did I call her? Because we suffered through the Kansas City game on New Year's Day. It was a party. Heaven is a party. Bronco fans will be there. Steeler fans will be there. Patriot fans will even be there. <laughs> Revelation 5, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, they'll turn to one another and they'll say, oh, do you see that? Do you see that? And they'll all gaze at a slaughtered lamb standing on the throne. One who had been stripped, who had been beaten, who had been forsaken for the sake of you. One who had borne the sin of the world into the depths of hell and risen victorious from the grave, our Lord Jesus the Christ, making all things new and your sorrow will turn into joy. But not just your joy. Also the joy of all those with whom you've suffered. A communion of joy. And so on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take it, eat it. Do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper and having given thanks, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it. Drink my cup. 
In the Bible, when people say that, they're saying, experience what my, I'm experiencing. Experience this with me. This, is, this cup is the, uh, my blood of the covenant, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. You know, if you, if you look at the table from this side, what does it look like? Suffering. It is the passion of the Christ. But if you look at the table from this side, what does it look like? It's the great banquet. It's the passion of the Christ. And check this out. The sorrow exists in time. The joy is eternal. So he calls you to this table this morning. Here, in the seat next to you, he calls you to communion. Lord Jesus, we surrender ourselves to you that we might be affected by you. That is a scary prayer, Lord Jesus, and yet we're beginning to trust that you're good and so we can say it. And so just say this with me in the silence of your heart. Say, Lord God, in Jesus' name, I surrender myself to you. In Jesus' name. Let's worship. So receive this as a benediction. I think this is my favorite benediction from Ephesians chapter three. Paul writes, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever and ever. Amen. <laughs> so have a great day. And uh, we'll see you next week. Listen, um, it really would be great if you signed up for a community group of some sort somewhere. And also if you ate donuts downstairs after the service and met some people you don't know, okay? <laughs> Believe the gospel and we'll see you next week.